everybody, this is Brett. And I'm Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. 1929-1930, the third Academy Awards edition. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Gilda Films podcast. Which picture was best? It's your fave. It's Christian. Hi, I'm the only one hosting the show today. I'm not, especially with these years. No. Um, so as you heard in our little intro there, we are talking about the 1929 slash 1930 Academy Awards, which was the third in the list of what are we like 93 now? So very, very early on. Again, it's like when we did the 1927-28. It's a split year. A lot of questionable, like, can I watch this? I don't know. Um, the movies are all meh. You'll see here coming up. But the Best Picture winner is honestly one of the better ones. Very good choice for the win. But as always, you know, I'm Christian. Hi. Here's Brett. Hello. Hello, hello. And after nine months... Hello, Zay. Well, hello, Zay. You're back where you somewhat belong. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back. The fan favorite of season 12, the one, the only, the Zay. I was was right up there for Miss Congeniality. Um, Hello. Thank you for having me again. Um, as Brett just said off mic earlier, I was uh, given an abortion at full term. So I know I was the abortion at full term. Sorry. Um, so, yeah. And here I am. I was rescued by some lovely Christians outside of the, uh, what the fuck are they called? Planned Parenthood. Yes. Those very kind people. They, and they brought me back to the podcast because they were fans. Big fans of the show. Oh my god. <laughs> my stomach already hurts. I can't do this for two hours. <laughs> We're not gonna be able to talk about these movies for two hours. <laughs> you know what? It's like I was wondering why why are they picking this year? Like we have so many other years we could be going with. And it's like, no, I, it all makes sense. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a fucking good time with this, damn it. <laughs> yeah there's one joke i wrote down for the divorce say that i'm like this is gonna kill this is gonna kill everyone (laughs) (laughs) so when we get to the divorce say everyone be look on the lookout for that one (laughs) looking forward to it yes very happy to have zay back after their temporary ban from the podcast um right why was i why was i banned (laughs) Still being investigated, but um, decided to you know have say back, have say back either way. <laughs> uh, no, this is this is really exciting. We're gonna have a fun time um, with it. Like Christian said, a very interesting year. Who knows why the Academy made things difficult? They always do. But yes, the year nineteen thirty nine. Or sorry, we already 1929. did that one. We did that one. I'm I'm looking forward 1929 and 1930 
held on November 5th, 1930. These were looking at like, like the first uh, Academy Awards and the second, the last half of 1929, first half of 1930. This time, Christian actually found like an eligibility list for the movies. So we didn't have to like investigate whether films were eligible or not. So that was really nice. So thanks, Christian, for that. Um, but like Christian said, an exciting Best Picture winner, All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, Best Director went to the same film with Lewis Milestone, who was actually his second win. So he was kind of the Academy star for directors in those first three years. And it was the first film of many to win both picture and director. Uh, Best Actress that year went to Norma Shearer for The Divorcee. Um, her brother Douglas also won that year for sound recording. They were the first siblings. I see you're actually the first blood relatives overall to win Oscars. Um, so that's kind of cool. Best actor went to George Arliss for Disraeli. We'll get into that. I'm sure we all have very extensive thoughts. Apparently they really loved him that year because he was also nominated for the green goddess. And that was the first and only time multiple nominations for were allowed for this single category. Uh, most wins went to All Quiet on the Western Front and The Big House with a grand total of two each. Got to remember, not many awards were given out this early on. And so the most nominations went to The Love Parade with six, which at the time was a record. You know, today it's been long surpassed. Um, and so, but at the time, that was pretty significant. It was the first ceremony to be filmed, though only for three awards. I couldn't see why that was, but there were only three awards that were filmed. Um, and I don't know if, if that's available out there or not. Um, I see Christian also put here, Francis Marion. Uh, <laughs> screenplay went to a woman, a moment. You know, first uh, non-acting win for a woman in the Academy's history. And she was obviously a, a trailblazer at the time for screenwriters producers even uh especially for women screenwriters and producers and so she won for the first film we will talk about that year and so some exciting things going on some non-exciting things going on we will get to all of that are we ready to jump in with our first film here let's go all right so i have our in first one here oh here what's that well, they said, let's go. And I said, insert Chris Pratt voice here. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no. Uh, so our first film, as we said, this was the film for which Francis Marion won Best Writing Achievement for the year. It is The Big House. And so uh, this film largely takes place in a prison. It begins with a character named Kent, who's played by Robert Montgomery. Uh, he, We learned that he was a drunk driver who... Um, a sentence to 10 years in prison for manslaughter after he kills a man while driving. And it's clear, like, you know, he's very uh, uh, frightened, you know, not, not going to adjust well to the prison life whatsoever. Not that anybody really does, but um, not, you know, really suited for that. But he is roomed with two basically career criminals with Butch, who's played by Wallace Beery and Morgan, who's played by Chester Morris. And so, Butch is kind of the muscle. Um, Morgan is kind of like the one who went and robbed all the banks and, you know, did all that to end up here in prison. Um, Butch is kind of like, you know, kind of what you expect. He's kind of harsh on the young guy, if you could put it that way. And, you know, Morgan is also, he's going to watch out for his own, but he's trying to be helpful in whatever way he can. Things become a little bit complicated when Morgan is actually set to get out. And that's kind of ruined by Kent, uh, who places... 
um, a weapon in his bedding and it's caught, but Morgan actually finds a way to sneak away from the prison and actually gets to know Kent's family and his sister and kind of forms a relationship with her. But of course he does end up back in the prison and that creates some conflicts, not only between him and Kent, but also even between him and Butch. Whereas, you know, Butch is trying to find a way to get out of prison, escape, continue with his criminal life. And Morgan is more like, I kind of want to go more the straight and narrow kind of get out on my own, you know, the right terms and, you know, go on to marry this woman. And so um, I think what stood out for me for this film, I think it's kind of a, a prototype prison slash prison break movie. Um, I, I could see where a lot of films would come after this that would take a lot of things from this film, if not directly, at least indirectly, but also just kind of how gritty it was. I mean, I think it's, you know, it, it's definitely uh, as a lot of films here, it was definitely a pre-code film. Um, presenting characters who have a lot of flaws and have backgrounds that are both mysterious and suspect, but trying to search for some humanity there, which I found pretty effective. And overall, I don't, I don't think it's a great film. I think it is a good film, though, especially for this year and some of the products that we had um, from this best picture race, far from the best, but near the top for me, at least. And so I, I enjoyed the grit. I enjoyed kind of the the graininess of it all and part of it being shot in 1930, but also just partially being kind of more down to earth in a way um, and presenting the story the way it did. So interested to hear what you both think on this one. Um, it reminded me a lot of my favorite movie from 2018, Paddington 2. <laughs> um, no, but Love really it. Um, it actually did remind me of previous episode 1950 part two when we did Caged, because it's interesting to see how the prison film developed in 20 years, especially because that was also like sort of the prototype for like a women in prison movie. Of course, the big house being a lot more masculine and I definitely saw it being like the roadmap for a lot of movies that we'd see, you know, especially like um, the Shawshank Redemption or like, I'm trying to think of earlier prison films, but that's the one that like felt like that's the mold that started it out for movies to come later on like that. And for that, I think it's very interesting in that aspect as a kind of artifact of like, we've always had an idea that the prison system's kind of fucked, but we're not gonna do anything about that. So we're just gonna keep making movies and hopefully someone learns. I mean, that's also like when we go all the way up to most recently, like Orange is the New Black, it has still has the same themes of things are fucked, but we're not really doing anything to solve them. And actually probably getting worse. Um, and there is some like good like writing to it. So I get why the Academy Award was given to this film. Maybe not over other ones, mm -hmm. but I mean, of course I haven't seen them all. Uh, I, I didn't check all of them were nominated. I don't think it was the same, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was one of the, the more watchable films of this handful, for sure. Um, no, I like this a lot, but nominated for best screenplay that year, well, in whatever this category is, it'd be The Big House, All Quiet on the Western Front, Disraeli, The Divorcee, and then one called Street of Chance. Oh, so I did see most of them. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, okay. 
No, but I, I liked it too. And it definitely is like we've been saying prototype for other prison break movies. And it was weird because before this only maybe a couple of weeks back, I watched a film called brute force um with Burt Lancaster which is like the mid 50s or so but it is sort of the same type of feeling to that like um it culminates with the prison riots which of course is like you can't have a prison riot if you don't have a prison escape type movie because it's like that's the Hollywood cliche of it all whatever but uh, I really liked uh, Wallace Beery in this a lot um highly considering here for supporting stuff and our personals coming up but no, it was good, um, especially the stuff, too, when he does escape and he's with the woman. What's her name? Anne. Anne, yes. Um, Leela Himes is the actress there. I don't know. I like that. It's very down to earth. It's the more human aspect, even though, you know, this guy is, you know, breaking out of prison. What's going to happen? And yeah. But it was the only one, too, that I have not seen of the nominees. Mm. And I'm also very glad that I got to see it and not on some weird bootleg whatever because it was found it through the Warner Archives interlibrary loan, but whatever. It was, nice. Yeah. yeah, my library yeah. had it too. Yeah, I have to say, like, kind of related to that, obviously this was very shortly after sounds had been developed for film. And this won the award for sounds and obviously if something like are quite on the western front which i think also was very successful in that but you know in some movies from this year i saw you could definitely tell that sound was really archaic but here i did think it was really good i mean compared to some of the other films we watched and especially when the prison break scene comes about and there's so much chaos to it like i can definitely see why that was this was the first year of that category and so i could see why that would be the first winner like i said maybe not over like something like all quiet on the western front but which wasn't even nominated right yeah and so um that this year being such like this is the year that they're actually like really ah, anchoring down on the sound era that you can tell right there is how important sound design is because especially we're going to get to them divorcee and Israeli, those movies are almost unwatchable sometimes because I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> because I just could not figure out what they were going for. And yeah, but. And even so, like they couldn't figure out what they're going for because I'm looking at the list of winners. And so obviously this is the first winner. The next two years, they give it to Paramount Public Studio Sound Department. They don't even give it to a movie. They give wow. it to the actual <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like y'all got this figured like, out. So it's also like, why wouldn't you also give it to a musical? Because I think at this time it feels more getting the songs and the music synced with the talking and everything else, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because true. like the last winner before well, the winner after the public, the publicity department, whatever the hell it is, was a farewell to arms beating out 42nd street, which is a musical, a big musical. Mm-hmm. And that's me. That's maybe me pushing for the love parade because I did like the love parade, but we'll get there. No, no, I, that's a good point for sure. I definitely see where you're coming from because the whole prison riot scene, I mean, it is good sound. It's good use of sound. And I'm especially, I like that, like the quality of the DVD that I watched. And Zay, you probably watched the same one because you said you got a library. Like the more archives, they did a fine job with whatever restoration it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I never lost any dialogue 
which like mm -hmm. this early 1929, like you could lose dialogue. Like they said, there were times where I was watching some of those films and I was like, I have no idea what they just said. Um, cause of how early it was, but yeah, it's fascinating. And, and Francis Marion is really fascinating too. Like I, I just think it's interesting how much some people were working in this time. I was just counting up. She wrote 10 movies that came out in 1930, yeah. um, which is absolutely wild. Um, and I just like how the characters are. I, I, I think Annie um, is underwritten to a degree. I like, I didn't get as much from her as some of the others and I get, she wasn't the focus, but I want a little bit more there, but you know, I, and like it, it results in the performances too. Like I also really liked Wallace Beery and I liked um, Chester Morgan as well, just because he, he kind of offsets Beery, whereas Beery is the more showy, the more out there. Morgan is the more, a little bit more toned down and they kind of counteract each other in a really nice way. So that helps too. Wow. A woman writer getting Academy Awards. <laughs> That's novel. Even today. Wow. <laughs> God. Yeah. Um, yeah, like we said, that was one of two wins. Um, Francis Marion also, we, uh, somebody put here, the first person to win two Oscars for writing. So very, very influential. Sound recording obviously went to this as well. Uh, had two other nominations for Best Picture and Best Actor for Wallace Berry. So he got in as well. Any further thoughts on the big house before we move on to our next one? You know, I think we'll just take a moment, a moment of silence to appreciate the things we have and the things we're going to go moving on forward to. <laughs> I, just I agree. To, <laughs> I just want to say as Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, thank you for welcoming me on this program. My favorite film is coming up next because it talks about another prime minister. Oh, Margaret Thatcher, what are you doing here? <laughs> Did she bring James Mason with her this time? That's my question. I say that, old chap. No, but you'll be, hearing, <laughs> you'll be hearing from me in a little while because I'm going to have a big moment here on some upcoming episodes. Okay. Well, I actually have and our next. And <laughs> that's how you segue. That's how you segue into this. Into this. That was a whole lot better than anything I've watched in this next movie. So uh, I actually, I, this was the first film that I claimed I wanted to talk about. Um, it is called Disraeli, uh, directed by Alfred E. Green. It stars George Arliss, who we've talked about before with the House of Rothschild. Hated that one too. Um, here he plays the uh, former British prime minister, um, the lead, you know, the, the title character. And it's basically about him wanting to go and control the Suez Canal so that he can in turn control India. And so it's a lot about like British colonization of India and how it, that came about. And this was all under Queen Victoria. And so she became, quote unquote, the Empress of India. Um and it's about how like the Russians had spies in his circle and whatnot. I wanted to introduce this simply because I wanted to give a brief shout out to films like in which we serve 
and out of Africa and um, the Mel Gibson movie, Hacksaw Ridge, because kiss today, goodbye. You know, they, they had a good run. They had a great run as the worst best picture nominee that I've watched so far. They did good. They've now been surpassed. This movie fucking sucks. Okay. This movie's awful. This movie, like at least with those movies, I can pull out different aspects. Like out of Africa, it had some good cinematography here and there in which we serve. Some of the sound was pretty good. This really has nothing like this. I gave it half a star. I don't give that very often. Okay. I, six or seven movies that I give half a star and I would give it zero. I just, I, I like to give some kind of star rating just to like make it, I don't know for some reason, but it's, I just, I, it's hard to even explain to me. The best way I can explain this movie is that it comes off like a bad high school play. Like the actors seem so uncomfortable in what they're doing. It looks like they're sometimes they may be like reading off cue cards or something and like wondering where they should stand in the frame and as it, that's as if it was framed very good whatsoever. The film goes from place to place and like it begins without any explanation whatsoever. So like it, it took a while for me to realize what even was going on. I'm not sure if I even fully did because I had the Wikipedia page open while I was watching just so I could understand the damn movie. Uh, George Arliss, no. One of the worst best actor wins I've seen as well. He does absolutely nothing for me here. His hair did more for me just because I was just confounded by what was going on with his hair in this movie. Um, I can't even name any other actors I or the characters. I, I'm sorry if I'm not like providing much in terms of like great discussion of this movie, but I it, this movie has no no sympathy for its audience. It's like it's not even trying to be made for an audience. It's like it's just oh this is a movie. This is our script. We're just going to shoot it and like roll with that. Uh, I, it was like, what, an hour and 24 minutes. It, it felt extremely, you know, much, much, much longer than that. And I have no desire to watch a scene of this movie ever again. So that's my scathing take on Disraeli. It's the worst best picture nominee I've ever seen. One of the worst movies I've ever seen, period. Um, I would like to say you also forgot to mention for whom the bell tolls let's not let's not leave that one out um i i even went back to look at all the films that i've seen for this podcast to confirm um but yes i don't know if i would go as far as to say it's the worst i've seen i also noticed how you listed all those films and i was there for all of them so thank you so much for podcast so i can suffer in the pain with you <laughs> but um i still think hackfall ridge might be the worst for me just because that film made me unbelievably angry but i guess it's a mood well this it doesn't feel like i agree it just feels like a play that i'm watching a play and i'm just like <sighs> and like not even to get into the weird content of it of just like the weird imperialism of it all and i'm just like i don't know i don't even know i no no literally i was starting to become behind on watching just these five movies for this podcast because i was putting off finishing <laughs> this movie <laughs> and i was just like i can do this and then i'm like oh but i can go watch some halloween movie instead <laughs> and i'm just ugh. 
it's it, I we also need to mention we saw a very bad copy of it. Yes. Wherever Christian came out with the <laughs> bottoms of the depths of the trash of the internet found this bootleg. Copy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to I would like to thank our dear friend John for sending me the OG link to that. <laughs> I didn't yeah, none of the Thanks switching. John. But I don't know if it's like the best quality. Well, Kristen, you've seen it before. Is that like similar quality to what you saw before? No, because I saw it on TCM before. Okay, so. But like even TCM hates this because it was like at a 5 a.m. recording that I had to watch it. (laughs) Okay, so interesting. Um, Yeah, so, well, what what me me and Brett saw then was um, a pretty bad looking copy um, I could not hear it. I even attached my speaker to my laptop and I could still barely hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, good. It's giving you that early talky feel then. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Where you're like, what is this strange invention? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I can't. Even even if someone was like, here is a Blu-ray high definition of Disraeli, I'd be like, keep it. <laughs> I'll... I'll put it under my bed. I'll put it under my mattress. It's like one of the legs breaks. Um, that's about all I can think of. For that's good for this. I don't. I have no more thoughts. I'm just. I, I don't. This really was one of like three movies I watched in a week where I was like, maybe I should never watch movies again. <laughs> <laughs> it was between that and the new, though. Well, the new Melissa McCarthy, The Starling, and The Last Airbender. Those three movies almost made me just quit movies. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, fun fact, this is a remake of a movie. Did we, did we all know that? I just read that. I I have thoughts on that, but yeah, go ahead first. But yeah, it's a remake of a movie starring George Arliss and also his wife based upon a play. So I can kind of see where the play aspect, the feeling of it comes with this thing. But um, I mean, I thought it was fine, you know, a little, you know, beautiful gowns, great gowns. Um, oh, no, I. I'm being sarcastic. I'm being sarcastic. I hate it. I told myself I never have to see this thing again, but here we go. Um, so I don't know if any of you know of like, you know, Eureka O'Hara on RuPaul's Drag Race, but Eureka does this weird little curl in her first season. That's all I could think about with Disraeli's hair because there's a strange curl aspect going on. And yes. glues that hair down or something. I don't know. But um, I hate George Arliss. And it's weird because I, I don't know if I should say that. I'm not a fan. I haven't seen a whole lot i've seen this i've seen the rothschild which i hated and i've seen him play alexander hamilton when he wasn't rapping i was not having it <laughs> well and in in rothschild wasn't he like an imperialist in that movie too yes <laughs> so um but no this is this is garbage nobody cares about disraeli and yet we okay looking through the history of the oscar wins we've awarded three people for playing a prime minister. I'm fact check me on this one, but like one person to play a president. I mean, not saying a difference there, whatever, but like, what is so interesting about this particular dude that film goers in 1929 were like, holy fuck. Like that's how we got the Suez 
Canal, like middle America, Wyoming was like the Suez Canal. Honey, honey, <laughs> we got no money. The Great Depression. <laughs> this man, that's how he made the Suez Canal. It's like, hey, I'm birthing out my 10th baby over here out of my cooch. We're poor on our farm. Like, what do you, what do I care about the Suez Canal? Oh, wow. It really was a hit movie, too. I hate this. It well, was. I, wow. And, and then, the fact, too, okay, it was re released uh, a few years later, 1934. Yes. And they edited, they trimmed it. They trimmed it by three minutes. <laughs> three minutes. What was the three minutes? <laughs> what was happening in those three minutes? What are we leaving out? And also, halfway through this, I, I couldn't care less. I have, I cannot tell you what was happening in this movie. Okay. There's a love triangle or something. Does Rayleigh have in some sort of throuple situation and, or it's his daughter. I'm not sure. Yeah. Right. No, <laughs> I don't care. I, you know, I blanked out. I said, it's 10 AM. I'm hungry. I'm making food. It's on my computer, the kitchen. You've Brett, you've been to the house, the kitchen, the living room. They're kind of far apart. I don't care what's happening over here. I can barely hear the fucking thing. But I'm like, eggs are more important right now. I need a, I, someone call up AFI because you, you, they nominated this from 2006 for that fucking AFI's 100 years, 100 cheers list. Ooh. What are you list? What are you cheering for? For the movie to be finally over? That's what I started cheering. God. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was nominated. That's wild. Did they just like any movie? <laughs> oh, it was a movie? Well, it's nominated. Like, I, I try to like understand other opinions on movies. This one is one that I, I cannot understand how someone can like this. I'm sorry. Like, unless you're like George Arliss's great, great, great imperialist grandson or something, you're like, hey, yeah, that's, that's my family there, you know? Oh. Even then, I'm like, you're no, stop. But I don't know. I, I can't see how anybody likes this movie. I, I'm sorry if people out there listening are like, oh my God, I love this really. But... No, no, people are waiting by their telephones right now. You call 1-800-666-4523. Tell us your thoughts on Disraeli. We will until someone calls for Disraeli. This movie makes me angry. And Christian, your point about the it being a remake of a silent film is interesting because I couldn't help but wonder... There's nothing I could say this movie, but like I couldn't help but wonder, would I have bumped this up to one star if it was silent and it had the intertitles to like explain things and, you know, the actors could be more animated in what they were doing. I, I think this would have been like maybe a one star film if it had been a silent movie, but mm. still or bad, still awful. But like even like I'm thinking about the other movies, even in moments where I'm like, I don't really care about what's happening right now. It gave me something to look at because this didn't even have good like set decorating or like set set, you know, mm -hmm. it didn't even have that. It was just like most of the time they were just in a room, a room where I couldn't really see anything interesting in these rooms. Right. So it didn't it really had nothing going for it. No, not at all. Um, I guess one thing it did I'm have looking, going, go ahead. Oh, I said, I'm looking ahead and we're done with George Arliss because he ain't got no more best picture noms. Wes. <laughs> uh, it, it, one thing it did have going for it when it came out was that it, it did have some Oscar success. Like we said, George Arliss won best actor. Um, yeah, uh, it did have two additional noms for best picture and best writing. 
yeah, oh, I really hate this movie. Like I, it makes me angry. So anyway, um, to lighten the mood a little bit, I'm looking <laughs> at the 100 years, 100 years. There's some good movies on here. Like we've got Thelma and Louise, a classic. We've got um, Dark Victory, previous episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Babe. Babe is a great movie. Um, almost as good as Babe, Big in the City. Um, uh, Harold and Maude, one of my favorites. Madame Curie, also a previous episode. All right, that's all. I oh, thought, I thought there was going to be a punchline to that. I thought no. there was going to be like Disraeli was going to show up and I didn't know it was on this list or something. And I was like, oh my no. God. But... Oh, I mean, Chariots of Fire, which I also thought. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any further thoughts on, on this garbage before we move on to our next film? You know, sometimes we as people, we've learned that it's corporations who truly do cause so much bad things to the environment and the ozone layer but i think we as people should just come together and just burn every copy of disraeli together (laughs) and you know i think that's one thing we as people are allowed to do that's all i agree i want to i want to say this because this person probably not listening shout out to burma boxer on Letterbox, <laughs> the only person to give this movie a five stars, <laughs> and I don't think it's a joke. I, that I was good. Joke. That was my next question. Is it a joke? <laughs> I don't know. I... <laughs> I, wait, can we get them on the podcast? Absolutely. Bonus <laughs> episode. <laughs> An hour of just Disraeli, just unpacking this. I'm down for it. So <laughs> message oh, us on Twitter. Yeah, they're all about old movies, so they must love this movie. <laughs> and they, they're, they're still like logging shit. We can find them. We're going to find you. <laughs> From North Carolina. Got it. <laughs> I, listen, listen, Brett. I don't know how much budget is in the gilded films podcast right now i I know times are tough i know you know you've had to lay off a lot of people this year but um i think i need to rent like a private jet so i can get to north carolina so i can talk to this person get them on the podcast (laughs) you know we spent the last of our funds on your m&ms i don't know if they've arrived yet but i never got the fucking m&ms shipping problems what can i say nine months All right, Zay, do you want to take us away with our next film? I would be delighted. <laughs> um, this next film is called The Divorce Zay. Um, I don't know why I keep adding inflections into this voice. Uh, let's pull up the Wikipedia so I can remember names because I don't remember anyone's name because there's a number of characters in this. Hold on. I'm sorry. I wasn't prepared. Um... Uh, keep all right. I'll give the plot the divorcee, the Melania Trump story. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> okay, okay. Want to hear about how me and this bitch fell out? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, okay, okay, okay. So, 
It's about this group of people, New York and crowd. We got Ted, we got Jerry, we got Paul, we got Dorothy. Um, Jerry wants to marry Ted, and that makes Paul upset because Paul wants to marry Jerry. And so Paul gets drunk and he gets in a fight. Oh my God, the way he's driving, it's like, fucking Mario Kart up in that bitch, but he's drunk as shit. Um, And some wild like camera maneuvers really like that actually. Um, But then I get an accident and Dorothy's face is fucked. Um, And uh, then Paul marries Dorothy. I don't know why the fuck Dorothy would be okay with marrying this guy, but whatever. And then um, Ted and Jerry also get married around the same time. Um, kind of a sequence that reminded me of The Godfather, but not as good. Um, Wait, the, Zay just said The Godfather is good. Hold hold the phone. Like specifically that montage, you know the one. Okay, anyway. okay. <laughs> um, Fair. And so you see them to get married, and now three years later, and then it's uh, uh, Ted and Jerry, right? Yeah, there's they all look the yeah. same to me. That's what made it, the movie hard for me to follow. <laughs> I was like, wait, I don't know the difference between Ted and Paul, they both have the same forehead, <laughs> anyway. But then Ted is like, she may have had you know had a little affair but you know it's not a big deal and then jerry is like what the fuck that is a fucking big deal you fucking piece of shit and so and that's just like i don't know don't think it's that big of a deal i don't know and then he goes off to some business trip yeah um and then while he's gone jerry's like well i guess i'm gonna go fuck don i do remember don's name for some reason I don't think they actually fuck, but they actually go out and party or whatever. And Don is Ted's best friend. Um, and then Ted comes back, and then Jerry's like, hmm, well, I kind of saw someone. And then Jerry's like, what the fuck? That's so not cool. And then Jerry's like, well, you did it first. And Ted was like, that doesn't make it okay. <laughs> and then so Ted leaves, and he becomes like an alcoholic he goes to paris he drinks in paris because what else are you going to do in france but be fucking drunk and then um that's when paul starts to come back into the picture and uh paul is like i wish this hold on but just a pause christian has been like acting out all of this and it's very good i just (laughs) wish we had like a youtube option for this channel (laughs) anyway paul comes back into the picture and Dorothy's just like, you know, we should have married Paul. I loved you the most. And Paul was like, well, that's what I was fucking trying to tell you. That's why I got fucking drunk. But now I'm married to your... They're sisters, right? Were they sisters? Uh, if they were, I completely missed it. Not going to lie. Anyway. But then she's like, and then it's like, that's why I married Dorothy. Just because I was so upset. And she's like, well, I guess that's how shit is. But you know, you just can't let go of old feelings, I guess. And then that's when Dorothy comes back and has the veil on. And that's why I'm like, okay, now I can identify who Dorothy is at least. Mm-hmm. Although she doesn't look too disfigured under that veil. That seems a little <laughs> cheap. Um, and then she's like trying to get um Paul back, and Paul's like, No, I've made my decision. And then um <laughs> Jerry's like, wait. I've made my own decision and you can't give up on your marriage like I gave up on mine. And so then she 
flies to fucking Paris to go find um, Ted again, and then they're just, and she's just like, you know, I gave up too soon on us. Will you forgive me if I forgive you? And then that's it. That's the end. Um, I I hope I told that in a very like, <laughs> all right. So this is about these two bitches I know that you don't know anything about. Kind of <laughs> um, <laughs> you gave us the entire plot. I mean, nobody ever has to see it again. <laughs> um. Because, like, as interesting as all of that sounds, it's not a good movie. It's because you hear about, oh, it's a movie from 1920. Is it 29 or 30? It's 30. a 30. 30. It's a 1930 pre code film about and you're like, oh, that sounds so cool. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, this is like, the pacing is so fucking weird. And there are so many like, th- this is the issue with it being such an early talkie. There are moments where people are just like looking at each other for the sake of a dramatic pause, I guess. <laughs> and then it's just like completely silent. And I'm just like, <laughs> I, I laughed at one point because she's like, stare- um, Jerry is staring at Paul, I think, and it's dead silent. And I'm just like, well, what are you gonna what are you gonna say? And I'm just it was just way too long a pause. And so I'm just like, they clearly didn't understand how they wanted the flow of dialogue to go. Because I was thought honestly at the beginning of the film when everyone's like chit-chatting so fast at the party or whatever. I thought that was like going to be the whole like the feel of the film like the rom-coms of like the golden era you know just talking real fast making quips and whatnot but after the car scene everything just the pacing got so weird um but I will say something I did enjoy about this movie was that weird part with the fake Italian guy gave me real Chris Pat Fratt and the Mario movie upcoming vibes. I think he's going to be he's going to be taking <laughs> a lot of notes from the divorcee. That was my Mario joke. I don't I hope nobody was looking forward to that one. <laughs> well, was that was that the joke that you hyped that up it. at the very beginning? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was good. Was yeah, that yeah. your opinion not, of the movie? Not quite as good as the uh, as the uh, um, Zola intro, but it was. Still I mean, good. I can only do so much. Yeah. Um, I deserve some sort of award for reenacting that entire fucking film. That was good too. Like bonus bonus episode, you get me. You get the video footage of this. But yeah, it's it's fine. I'm not like a huge fan. This is my umpteenth time seeing this thing. But I did notice this time after reading like Zay's letterbox review, there is so much pausing and silence. And it's like, again, just make this a silent movie if you want to. And I'm sure in like 1930, a divorced woman cheating on her cheating husband is edgy and cool and everything. But I mean, I wasn't gagged or anything about it today. 2021 fine i also don't think norma Shearer is that great of an actress um she's pretty good in wimple street yeah 
but in this and like the women it's like the same thing for me i mean that's that's the limited three movies i've seen of her but it's i don't know she's fine it's not the best um mm. what else i wanted dorothy to have like a phantom of the opera type moment where we see the face but I, I thought it was know. coming. That would have been so good. I thought well, it was coming. Like, I thought that was actually going to happen. But well, that and then when uh, the guy, again, they all look the same to me, all these men in this movie. That's why I said. Uh, when he walks in <laughs> drunk to the party after, you know, she's like, well, I cheated on you too. I thought that the lady who opens the door was Dorothy. And I'm like, oh, girl, she got some work done because she looks good. <laughs> <laughs> like, she ain't that disfigured. What, no, what is disfigured for the 30s? That's why I was like so confused because I she disappears for most of the movie. And I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. are, so I kept thinking different women showing up were like her with like plastic surgery or whatever. And then finally she shows up in the veil and I'm like, oh, there she is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I'm glad I probably will never have to watch this again. Yeah, I, I thought it was fine. I I don't know. I agree with a lot of what you're saying, especially the men. Like I, I do, I did find it hard to tell them apart. And it could also be that I watched this shortly after the big house, Chester Morris and Robert Montgomery are in this too. So like, are they really? But, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I didn't really realize that when I was watching it either. Um, it's something that came later, but um, I don't know. I, I did think it, I just like the, the pre-code aspect of it too i mean it is in it today it doesn't seem like it but at the time i'm sure it was pretty scandalous and so i enjoyed seeing the the pathways that it took with that but i do think it does for sure have a lot of shortcomings with the pauses and i think there's the the, the direction needed to be better uh robert z leonard the director i i think like zay said it, it's kind of that transition and this was another one that was remade from a silent film so or there was a silent film called The Divorce. I don't know if they're the same thing or not. But um, I guess where I stand out for me too is I really liked Norma Shearer. I don't know. I I disagree with Christian and with the women too. I really like her in that movie. I think I agree Barrett's of Wimpole Street is her best performance I've seen of hers. And those are the only three I've seen. But I also think she's great in that movie. So I don't know. I thought she kind of, to me, she lights up the screen. She's just one of those early examples of a star um not like on the level of someone like Greta Garbo who we'll talk about next episode but I don't know I enjoyed what she was doing here for the most part I agree it it, there are aspects of it that I I think there's just growing pains there um with the way it's put together and the way it's directed and sometimes even just the way it's written but I really liked her um I also just I didn't like the ending of the movie um and obviously 1930 even though it had some of those pre-code sentiments you you know it's gonna have a this type of ending that it has where they end up back together but for me it just felt really cheap and it felt like it was tied up really quickly and in, in like a a pretty bow and i was like that's not how it works um so i really didn't like the ending to it but it was also exactly the ending i expected so everyone tweeting us at home um don't do wait i i, I looked it up um, the silent version, the silent, the divorcee is based on a different source material than this one. There you go. Probably better, but I don't know. Um, as a everybody out there who's listening, who has a Ouija board, if you could contact Marion Davis and Joan Crawford, AKA Norma Shears, like not friends, <laughs> make them go to bread. <laughs> 
Um, I, I, I think Norma Shearer was fine here. I haven't seen too much of her to have an opinion too much, but I, I don't think she really bothered me too much in this movie. Um, my favorite moment, though, was when she's on the train and she's wearing the fucking drapes. <laughs> I don't care what that... That dress was made out of some drapes. Um, but yeah, that's... I, I will say that I, I when I first watched it, I liked it to, to a small degree. As I think back on it, there's a lot of it I don't remember. So I, I think it's just one of those that's just really middle of the road and like there's not a whole lot that's memorable about it. So I don't think it's like necessarily a movie I dislike. It's a movie that I see a good movie, but there was a lot of limitations for it. I think it definitely would be a better silent film for sure. Yeah, I could see that. I think it's fair. Uh, Zay, do you want to go over what this won and what it was nominated for? Yes, I forgot that was a part of this. I see it's been too long. It got one win for actress Norma Shearer. And it had three additional norms for picture, director, and writing. Those be, seem to be the common ones, uh, some of the common nominations among the Best Picture nominees this year, since there weren't very many awards. So, mm -hmm. Any final thoughts on The Divorce before moving on to our next movie? Quite different from The Gay Divorce. Quite. That's it. Not a sequel. All right. Christian, I believe you have our next one. So whenever you're ready, take us away. <clears throat> Monsieur Mademoiselle, it is with deepest pride and greatest pleasure that we welcome you here tonight. So we invite you to relax, let us pull up a chair as the dining room proudly presents a musical. It's the Love Parade, the Love Parade, and it stars Maurice Chevalier. That's all I got. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but no, the film is The Love Parade, starring Marie Chevalier and directed by Ernst, Ernst Lubitsch, uh, one of my favorites, actually. But it is a movie musical. Again, we mentioned that earlier on because it does have some pretty good sound for 1929, combining the music and the actual talking part. But it is about Count Alfred Renard Chevalier, who becomes sort of an advisor, then lover to Queen Louisa of a country called Sylvania which is also TV brand, isn't it? I don't know. Played by Jeanette, Jeanette McDonald. But it is a musical, as we said, and that's kind of a big important thing because during this time, we have a little thing known as the Great Depression. And this premiered weeks before after the actual start of all of that because November of 29 was the first New York City premiere and then January. So... Um, it was a big successful hit because everybody's like, oh, it's a happy musical because yes, they do, you know, they fall in love slowly. And then you get to see what happens when this uh, consort to the queen sort of wants to have his own life, but at the same time, you know, respect her rule since she is the queen and how he has to go about obeying her and everything else. Um, there's some fun side characters, Lupino Lane, um, I'm assuming he's a character actor, but he plays Jacques, who's sort of like the friend of Maurice Chevalier. And Maurice Chevalier, very charismatic guy. I really liked him in this. 
he is the inspiration for Lumiere. So if anybody's out there uncultured is like, why is Christian singing from Beauty and the Beast? Yeah. And Brett's kind of giving me a look like he is like, makes sense. Yeah. Makes yeah. Sense. Um, but yeah, he's good in this. Jeanette McDonald's also very good in this. Um, no, I liked it. Lubitsch, uh, Ernst Lubitsch, I guess, is known for these early rom-com musicals, which I uh, honestly, I did not know this. So I kind of feel weird that I didn't know that because I seem to know everything. <laughs> I'm just used to the Ernst Lubitsch of like, you know, comedies and stuff, to be or not to be. Um, Shop Around the Corner, one of Brett's favorites. I would favorites. like to point out, mm-hmm. this is the third Ernst Lubitsch we have covered. So look at that popular person on the show. And definitely when we get to like 1942, uh, to be or not to be is going to be on there, but it is a good movie. It does drop on TCM. A lot of the times it was on a few weeks ago, actually. So definitely watch it, especially for the whole like historical aspect of it, of a musical made in 1929. That sounds really, really great. It doesn't sound too grainy. You can understand pretty much everything they're saying. It's fun. It's lovely. And it's a good rom-com too. And Marie Chevalier I mean, I've only seen him in this and Gigi. <sighs> I am not coming on the Gigi episode. I swear but, to uh, God, I will not be there. He's a, he's a delight in this. The only other thing I've seen is Gigi, so I don't know. The standards are pretty high for the man. Low, high, I don't care. <laughs> but yeah, um, one of you. And you have to sing what you thought. Well, I have to say that I think the movie was pretty okay. Actually, I kind of liked it up until we get to the third act. And then it kind of just fucking shit the bed. Um, so I really like, I especially love the, the, the best friend and the assistant, whatever they are. You know, their little like, we're going to be common people. Their little song and dance shit. Loved it. If that was the whole movie, I think this would be like way up there for me. But whatever. I I just love like old character actors like that and them just having their own spotlight. That they're, they're like the B story, basically. Um because that the the main couple do something and then we just like go down to see what they're up to now. Um, which I thought was really cute. Um, I yeah, though that was the highlight of the movie for me. And even so, I kind of liked, I liked the dynamic of the queen and the, what's his name, general, what is he? Count Alfred. Whatever. Um, I don't know. I'm not British. Sorry to my British fans. Um, That's not British. (laughs) Y'all still have a monarchy. (laughs) France has a president now. Get with the times. Anyway. Um, but so the whole dynamic of it is he feels emasculated by her power because obviously she's a queen. Why the fuck are you trying to fuck a queen if you don't want her to be the power top? Um, the Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so and it's just, I, I, I just wish. I get it. It's a 1929 film. So the gender dynamics are going to be very skewed. But I just wish it could have been a little more transgressive. 
and that he would have been fine being because I thought they were leaning into that a little, especially during the wedding when it was like, what's his face from Afghanistan was just like, there can't be a marriage like this. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. We can't be flipping flopping like this. And I'm like, wow, JK Rowling, you were here in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> And then I was just like, okay, so, but they were like talking about, no, this marriage is going to work. And I'm like, that's brilliant. I love that. But then once we get to the end, the very end, so spoilers, but this, I have to talk about this to explain why this movie doesn't work for me in the end is she's just like, no, honey, you are the person in this relationship who clearly should have all the power. I surrender myself unto you. And that's when after he's just been pouting for the last 20, 25 minutes of the film. And he's like, oh, honey, I do love you. And I'm like, so you're only going to love her because she like bowed down to you. And I'm just like, no, you could have made it work without, it would have been fine. I just wanted the movie to be like, emasculation isn't a thing, but of course this is like decades and decades before it would be like any movie would be able to like say something like that. I pretty much agree with everything you just said, Zay. Um, I pretty much just captured my thought. I agree. Like the scenes between Lupino Lane and Lillian Roth are just delightful. Uh, they were by far my favorite part of the movie. I, I love like Lupino Lane is kind of like taking on this like Charlie Chaplin-esque kind mm-hmm. of slapstick nature to their dance scenes. And so like the Let's Be Common, that was by far my favorite mm-hmm. sequence of the movie. Uh, maybe not my favorite song, but that sequence itself was just a, an absolute joy to watch. And like you said, Christian, I think, and I, I don't even know if I appreciated this much when I first watched it, but when you think about previous musicals and when this came out, it is really impressive um, how they were able to stage that and how the sound comes through and the music comes through. I think if you think about the the best picture winner from the year before, you know, the 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 Broadway melody of 1929 or whatever that movie's it's awful on those aspects like it it looks and feels archaic whereas this does not and so I do think it does deserve a lot of credit for that since it did come out it was a 1929 one so you know still pretty early um but I agree completely on on the ending I thought that it definitely took a turn in the third act and you know even if you look at you know yes it happens this movie was made in 1929. Obviously, we it's not as transgressive as we want it to be. But even then, you know, the um, Chevalier, am I saying that correctly? Chevalier, his character just doesn't change at all. Like, there's no arc to his character. The, the character at the end, I'm not convinced is any different from the character at the beginning. Like, I, I don't think this marriage is going to work. The movie ends and I'm like, yeah, they're, they're not going to work. Um, and it's, you know, cause I think obviously, like you said, Zay, like she's willing to give in and it, you know, it's kind of problematic in that way, but he just comes off as the same guy to me. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's no real development for his character. Um, and at times it feels like there's going to be, but then that third act comes in and you realize that ah, he's, he's pretty much the same guy. And, and as he's introduced in the beginning of the film, he's a playboy, you know? And so, um, It just didn't, for a film that is oftentimes comes off as really joyful and fun, it didn't carry that through to the end for me. I didn't leave this film feeling good about where they were going from here. 
But that being said, still my second favorite movie of this Same. group of films. I mean, I just, I just like that it's delightful. I don't know. This yeah. time around, I did notice those two side characters too, which I have yeah. not before. I mean, I've only seen this once. But again, saying like Chevalier, I've only seen fucking Gigi, whatever. But to <laughs> me, he's delightful. I, I do understand where you're coming from, though. It's he doesn't really change, but and that has to do with the whole masculinity thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I am, but you know, counts, and you're a queen, but you know, I'm a man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it has a really good energy to it. I yes. like, and that I think that's what really translates with Ernst Lubitsch, how he was able to go. He is one of the directors that like went into the sound era just really well. And I think that shows really in this movie. Yeah, I agree. And like my, with Chevalier, it's, it's pretty much solely the writing, you know, I, I don't have any problems with the performance. I, you know, I see he's nominated here. I don't have a problem with that. I thought he was quite good. Um, it's just the way the character is written. It just didn't land. It's a good movie. It's one I would definitely, I would watch again um, and, and have fun with it. It just, it didn't stick the landing for me. Christian, do you want to go over the Oscars success for this film? Yes. Didn't stick the landing. The, Tanya Harding story. <laughs> Nancy Kerrigan, that's who it was. Okay. <laughs> you were close. We got the joke. Um, all right. So this was nominated for six things. It did not win any of them, but best picture, best director for Lubitsch, actor for Chevalier, cinematography, art direction, which art direction is not bad because it was, you know, uh, and sound recording, which per well. It really would be a toss-up for this All Quiet. Mm. I mean, if it was a split year because All Quiet is the year after, yeah, this for the 29. So, especially against yeah. the Broadway melody. Uh, Broadway melody, I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry. I, I have a DVD of it, as there's probably a lot of people who collect these things. The DVD sucks in terms of the sound quality. Yeah. And it's just not a good movie anyway. So, I will say, now that I brought up, that this is the third Ernst Lubitsch film we've done that was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, it's known in Anochka, of course. That's mm-hmm. a classic. One right. of the all-time greats. However, I will say The Love Parade, better than Heaven Can Wait. I, mean, I agree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And like Christian said, we will see Ernst Lubitsch again because he, he was a great one, so... All right. Any further thoughts before we go on to our best picture winner? I lost it. I'm <laughs> the Krabby Patty. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> the secret recipe is. <laughs> I was always pissed off at that episode. Oh, me too. Oh, I'm still I mad about thought, it. I always thought they just like cut it off. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't understand it was a joke. <laughs> it's funny because like as we're doing this, I'm texting my my uh, school group chat right now, and I'm sharing SpongeBob beams that I'm hoping are not going over their heads. So <laughs> it's just a bunch of you know goodbye. I'll see y'all in therapy. 
it's a good nighttime show on Paramount Plus. I, I I'm not gonna lie, I watched a few episodes the last few weeks right before bed. Like, oh yeah, SpongeBob. No it's nice. Sarathu. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's insane how I have not seen that show in like a decade, but I can just pull shit like that. Oh, out yeah. So well. Left and right. Christian? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This is what the fans come for. Oh, yeah. references. <laughs> Honestly, we, that, that's like the new thing. Like, I, I got no Golden Girls references for any of this, I suppose, but. We need to include SpongeBob throughout. I understand those ones, so works for me. There you go. Okay, well, both now because <laughs> I still have to go over Brett's head, even though Brett goes over my head because I'm very short. So. <laughs> Thank you, and I guess Zay too because Zay's like seven feet or something like that. <laughs> seven feet. <laughs> Seven feet, six feet, five feet, two feet, all quiet on the Western Front. I thought you were going to do the, the song from Beetlejuice. Eight foot, seven foot, six foot. Oh my God. <laughs> Look, I had to think of a way to transition <laughs> without saying, buckle up, kiddos, because you're about to see all your sons die. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but our best picture winner was drum roll please drum roll please thank you my god it's like christmas vacation it's like drum i can't i can't do it that way (laughs) all right it's all quiet on the western front wow actual literal somewhat for a lot of people but for me masterpiece of a best picture winner three years into this thing. But All Quiet on the Western Front is based upon a book which I have half read. It is just about a group of German soldiers in pre-World War I and World War I, of course, who enlist because they got to save the fatherland. Their professor does a rousing speech at the beginning of this with a wonderful transition to each of them thinking about what it is going to mean to be a soldier. However, after basic training, this is all met with the devastating effect of war. This is a very anti-war film. Uh, It is not to be confused with, you know, hey, war is cool. No, because this is only made, what, 10 years after the end of World War I? So it's fresh in people's minds. We do not want to do this again. We lost too many people. And on the flip side, um, as this is from the point of view of the Germans, it's kind of showing Germany, you don't need to do this again. What was the fucking cost of it, okay? To lose all these guys for, for what? Most of this um, takes place in no, man, no man's land, um, which is the Western Front. And you just see really the horrors of war through their eyes. And it is rather a sad film if you think about it because they start this when they're a bunch of kids, so to say. Again, dreaming about, oh, wow, when I get out of war, I'm going to get all the women. I'm going to get all the praise, all the glory. And no. And World War One, as we know, one of the worst wars, especially with the trench warfare, the just the magnitude of the weapons that they had at this point in the 20th century. But uh, it also, uh, the main sort of focus is of Paul, played by Lou Ayers. And um, from his point of view and everybody else in there, I really did like Arnold Lucy as the professor who I've referenced before. He has a great first scene. He also has a really compelling scene with Paul later on where it's like, 
you know, mm-hmm. you're tricking all these fucking assholes. Um, that scene in particular really got to me this time because he's coming back from fighting. He's alive for right now. Um, I obviously won't say stage, but the movie's been out almost like a hundred years. So, um, but then to see the kids in the room calling him a coward and whatnot, it's like kids, you don't even know what's coming, but it is a great film. It's beautiful shot for a film in 1930 also when I was watching this I had my 1917 flashbacks from a few years ago how can a movie this early on with the sound invention of course be filmed like this like this near accurate and I know we've already talked about wings being filmed during you know combat aerial stuff but uh, yeah and also this has a silent film version if you have the if you have a specific copy of the blu-ray which Brett actually gave me for Christmas. I didn't get to watch it this chance over, but I do, I do want to see the silent version of it sometime just to see how it would go. But it is one of my favorites of the Best Picture winners. Um, yeah, go ahead. There's also a third version that I found. <laughs> it's in color oh and there's <laughs> someone's talking over the narration. Um, yeah, this is this another. Is, it seems like the running gag, but this is a true story, friends. <laughs> I've gotten a film from the library, and it was the remake. <laughs> because, as Christian said on on our group chat, you need to read more, and maybe I should. I just, I just, it doesn't tell years, so I just have to like, I don't know. It's stupid. Anyway. <laughs> Um, I agree. As a person that doesn't particularly care for the whole gaggle of Best Picture winners, I will say this is one of my favorites. It's in the top. I re-ranked it after watching it. Um, probably in the top 20-ish, somewhere around there. Um, maybe even top 15, at 15, but still, that's pretty good out of 90-something films, especially coming so close towards the beginning, around the time they fucking let simmer on win i don't think i want to be on that episode either um (laughs) but yeah i think what i was also thinking about while watching this was mel gibson loves this movie and he wanted to make his own when he fucking when he made hacksaw ridge there are so many points in this movie because I fucking hate Hacksaw Ridge so much. It is imprinted in my brain, especially the battle scenes. The battle scenes looked so much sim- so similar to the point where I was just like, okay, what's the difference here? Where is the communication? And I think it's definitely because there's no heroic narrative in this movie. There's no one we're really rooting. Like we lo- we we want these kids to be protected, but we don't want them to win. And I think that's what makes this movie so profound and how it still works 90 years later. Um and it's just it just it feels like many war movies to come, but so many war movies do want to have that heroic angle to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what always is bothersome to me in war films because I truly think these people are, they're, it's mostly propaganda to make them feel like 
they're heroes when it's a battle they don't need and i and that's what this movie says on the surface which you know it's a it's a it's a bit like a nail on the head but i think it's definitely necessary especially in a time like this to paint it out there exactly especially for a general audience especially when propaganda like that targets people who maybe they're not quite as critical thinkers like that so i think it's important for a film like that to be straightforward you're like nah war is fucking stupid why do we do it it's just for rich people to sacrifice the lives of people below them and i think this movie gets it really well and compared to the other nominees as we've been discussing um pardon me it feels so much more modern because it understands how to use that sound i swear i had the film like turned up on my friend's tv and i had to turn it down because of the fucking like whistling the whistling like and I was like, oh, that's so cool how they were like, obviously it's been remastered so much because it is a beloved film, but I just think it was, this film was, it understood the assignments <laughs> of making a talkie, of having sound, of making the story flow to get it to have a prominent like theme and what a message to give to its audience. And I think all of that together, truly, it's undoubtedly, like, I, I would, again, call in if you think All Quiet on the Western Front did not deserve to win out of these five. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm sure you could pull up another film from this year that maybe you wanted to win more. I'm sure I would, like, I would hear that argument. But out of these five, there's no way. Hello, Joseph Goebbels from Germany. You're on the line. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I tried to make one of those jokes and I had to think about how I'm going to approach this. <laughs> but then I remembered, I mean, this was a banned film during this mm -hmm. time in Germany because Germany's having this little thing called Nazism going on. And especially, you know, they're like, hey, yeah, we want some more land. And this movie's like, mm -mm, no, we don't need to do this. Joseph Goebbels took every chance he got as Minister of Propaganda to ban this film and ban all ideology of it, so... Yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I just feel like a lot of films, kind of like you were saying, Zay, since then, I've just said, yeah, have proclaimed themselves as an anti-war film and just don't hit it. And this one largely does. I mean, it just, it, it, it hits on so many things that I think have come to be part of the, the understanding of what a, a, an anti-war film could be, you know, from... I think part of the difference between this and like the battles in Hacksaw Ridge is like, we get to see their emotions. You know, mm -hmm. my, one of my biggest complaints about Hacksaw Ridge, the battle seems is that we don't see that the main character until like 10 minutes in, whereas here we're seeing horrific things happen. And we see these teenagers are like, Oh my God. Um, it, it's from, we have the discussion where they're, they get their food and they're, they're discussing, why are we in this? You know, why, why are we doing this? And it's like, well, our, the two countries don't agree. He's like, what? That, two pieces of land don't agree that makes no sense and you know that's their problem it's not mine why am i here um and to what i think is probably my favorite sequence of the film is when he goes back home on leave um he visits his mother and his father and his former teacher and just realizes that nobody there gets it 
you know, nobody here really knows what's going on out there. And as much as I could try to explain it, they just don't get it so far to the point that he's so isolated that he would rather go back to the battlefield and be with people that understand. And that's just extremely profound to me. And the scene of the reunion between him and Kat, um, and I think Louis Wilhelm is excellent in this movie. Um, that's probably my favorite performance of the film and his supporting role. But going from that to that, it's just really just fascinating to me. And it, it's not designed in a way to think, oh yeah, war is great. We enjoy it. It's that he's the only one who understands this like I do. Um, and you know, nobody else gets it. And so that was just really heartbreaking and sad to me. And it, it's a brutal film. I think it's one of the more brutal films I've seen. Like, and it reminded me like something like this, it, it's not as violent as something we might see today. There's still things that shock me, like the hands on the, oh, the barbed yeah, wire. Such a good image. Oh, and, I mean, I'm pretty sure they couldn't stay on that image, but the fact that it just happens and you just keep going. Yeah, exactly. And like things like that, it, even you know, for the time, it was very violent, but even though it's not as violent as things we might still see today, it, it has all the brutality. And, and when you see the emotional impact and I also, I love the scene where he's in the bunker with the French soldier that he's just killed. And it's like, you know, he's like, I, that to be close up with that person, see what he's done. It's like, it's no longer, I see you as you're French, I'm German. It's like, you're this human that I just killed. Um, and I don't think a lot of war films that I can think of have scenes like that. You know, you may see the the fallback afterwards of like, yeah, I had to go kill these people and whatnot, but not quite like that. And so, and especially I, one, like I said, like made ten years after the end of the events here, right. with the intent of something might be happening again. Maybe this movie will stop it. Yeah. Um. I the the one thing that was kind of weird to me was that like, obviously this is an American film. Um. They all speak English, which was not, I mean, it was expected, but where, where it got a little weird was that they encounter French people and the French people all speak French and mm-hmm. like, we're still speaking English. And I was like, that, that's kind of weird, but it was 1930. Um, and so I guess it was kind of expected, but yeah, I, you know, even if not all the characters have their moments are distinguishable, just getting to see the whole thing through Paul's eyes and seeing other characters come in like cat and, whatnot and it's like we said it's wonderfully shot it's a technical marvel for the year that it came out the sound is great um it's i can't think of another year we've had where a film was more deserving of best picture you know i could even look at like casablanca my favorite film of all time casablanca at least had the oxbow incident you know oxbow incident was a great film this has no other great film in the lineup not even close so i don't know there might have been another year i can maybe but where the separation is this much i don't know it's not that i dislike all the other films but this was so so by far not even close boat race the best that it it's hard to imagine anything else putting my reading glasses here <laughs> maybe the maybe the color purple maybe that one I'm trying to think what else was nominated that, that yeah didn't, that didn't win but no, I, mean, th- I would say that was by far the best of that lineup oh. where it was close. Yeah. Okay. No competition. I mean, around the world in 80 days. Whoa, best winner there. Another Mean- one I was there for. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, 
No. Oh, there's a sequel to this, I guess, too, called The Road Back, which was directed by James Whale. And I guess that he did not like the making of this movie. Again, banned in Germany at the time because what it's about. Is this on AFI's list at all? Surely. Um, yes. Uh, oh, so it was on the original at number 54, and then it got taken off, but it was nominated. Wow. Yeah. It's saving Private Ryan on there. It's on their epic films list too. Yeah. Like number seven. So and of course the ending of this movie is very it hits you. Yeah. Symbolism. Absolutely. Yeah. I've also never read the book, but I have seen the 1970s version that Zay mentioned. I don't remember a whole lot of it. We watched it in class when I was like a freshman in high school, but I remember it being pretty faithful to what this was for the most part. So this movie was banned, like I said, in Germany um, at the end of 1930. Um, but then it was allowed a briefly edited, like a heavily edited cut in 31 and then outlawed again. And then it did not actually premiere in Germany until 1952. Mm. So. Also banned in Australia because it was very pacifist. And if we know anything about Australia, it housed Mel Gibson, who made a film about a pacifist. So I'm seeing the connection. Yep, makes sense. Do you want me to read the noms? Go for it. All right. So it won Best Picture and Best Director for Lewis Milestone. Also, Carl Lemley and Carl Lemley Jr. Uh, won for the Best Picture as producers. They, of course, if you ever watch like the Universal Monster movies this month of October or just whenever, because, you know, they're great. They're the big producers of that. Just before I get into the noms, I was looking up Carl Lemley Jr. Um, he was 22, three when he won for producing this. Wow. I mean, you know, he got daddy's name on there, but still impressive. Also nominated for best writing and best cinematography, which did not win. <laughs> A documentary, I guess, won that, which is cool, but interesting. Hmm. Yeah. There is one but, important record you didn't mention that it holds. Um, the record for the most nude male butts any best picture winner <laughs> no other best picture winner has that many and yet one has uh, the love between a woman and a fish we see his butt so i was like okay we have to save the most <laughs> <laughs> this is true all right well as our best picture winner any final thoughts on that before we go on to our rankings if you think about it, the first best picture winner is War. The second is Musical. The third is War. Mm. Interesting. That's true. I, I don't know. I'm just saying it's it's heavily on the mind still, especially World War One. Yeah. And of course, you have the Broadway melody, which is like, oh, the end all be all of musicals. Wow, we did it. We made sound. <laughs> <laughs> and then what's next? What is next? Four. What's the four? We're on, Seven, isn't it? Oh, I fell asleep. I fell asleep through cinema. 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 I want some Cinnabons now. Thanks to our sponsor, Cinnabon. 
Thanks to our sponsors, Philip Morris. They're good for me. So they must be good for my children. <laughs> With anybody 20 and lower is like, what's a Philip Morris? Oh, kids. Oh, geez. Wait, Brad, do you know what Philip Morris is? Yes. Yes. I caught okay. the reference. Yes. I'm above 20. So. <laughs> have such a great children demographic for this podcast. (laughs) All right. So I'll go ahead and I'll start us off with our ranking of these nominees here going up from five to one. Number five, absolute shocker here. I have Disraeli. Number four, I have The Divorcee. Number three, The Love Parade. Number two, The Big House. And number one, once again, a shocker, All Quiet on the Western Front. Zay, would you like to take us away with yours? In the number negative 10, we have Disraeli. Don't know how that works in a ranking system, but it would break the fucking computer. Um, number four, The Divorcee. Number three, The Big House. Number two, The Love Parade. And far and above, at number one, All Quiet on the Western Front. All right. Christian, really looking for- forward to yours. I actually have seven things nominated. Wow. So, um, as, as my dear friends here know, I'm about to hopefully, you know, knock on wood, I will be a future teacher here. So I'm getting my history lessons out here, kids, because a couple of these are history lessons. At number seven, Disraeli. At number six, 1929, the beginning of the Great Depression. All right. <laughs> At number five, it happened then, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Thank you to my good friend, Mr. Al, over there. And number four, of course, The Divorcee. Number three, The Big House, To the Love Parade, and the true winner of this year, All Quiet on the Western Front. All right. And of course, that leads us to our overall ranking by Toby, which I am also going to read word for word here. Uh, we have six here, apparently. Number six is Disraeli. Number five, coming in, swooping in out of nowhere, we have Big Mama's House 2. <laughs> Wait, was that the same franchise? <laughs> I didn't notice. Okay. Huh. <laughs> Number four, we have The Divorcee. Number three, we have the original Big Mama's House. I uh, did not know the big house was part of that franchise. The more you know, the better. <laughs> number two, the love parade. And of course, number one, all quiet on the Western fronts. This was, of course, a year where very clearly we would say the Academy actually got it right. Uh, super right. Super dude. right. We didn't have that as a category. This, did they get it right? The super right category. <laughs> not in all categories. You know, you still got your George Arliss's and, and all that going on. But best picture they nailed it. So awesome. Well, thanks as always to everyone um, taking a listen and be sure to tune into our next episode where Zay will join us again to go over our, um, our other films that we picked from these years and our personal nominees and winners, honorable mentions and all that fun stuff. So be on the lookout for that. Um, always, as always, Rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and give us a follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Um, thanks to Joshua Arnoldi for doing our music for this podcast. 
And Zay, thanks to you for joining us once again, now that your ban has lifted. Uh, any final thoughts from you today before we close this all out? Yes, I don't know if I can go through with my earlier statement about the amount of male nude butts in, being a record because I haven't seen Driving Miss Daisy in about 10 years. <laughs> don't recall. Don't recall how many there are in that one. Um, Morgan. Yeah. Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, that's why you have to count because there's there there remember there is that that one cut where we see Miss Daisy's butt. However, it's not Jessica Tandy's. They got in a replacement and legend has it it was male. You're definitely coming on for that episode that was just decided just now. So You must remember this. <laughs> <laughs> oh she gonna sue us <laughs> we love you karina <laughs> christian any final thoughts from you um i should have never lifted the ban <laughs> <laughs> you owed me christian you owed me i know all right. Well, thanks for listening and be sure to tune in next time. Bye.